we are back. It's a decent podcast. It's been a hiatus and a half. That's a huge understatement. But we have returned to talk about the NBA. I'm Chris. Callum's here with us. I now live in North Carolina. He's still there in D.C. in his bougie apartment. How are things going, Callum? They're going well. It's glad to be back. Glad to have ADP back on the works, back by popular demand. That's right. All I hear every time I get on Twitter, every time I get on the phone, is can you bring it back from all both of our fans? Um, the nation is yeah. Spoken. Yeah, things are good. Uh, moved apartments since our last podcast in January. So in a much bigger space, as you've seen, mm-hmm. um, since you lived with me for a little bit due to the hurricane. I did, yeah. I had to take a... I forgot about that, actually. Yeah, we had the hurricane here. I had to to flee to the north, and I stayed there. It turned out to be a vacation for me in your nice yeah. apartment there, hanging out with your dog and cat. It was great. It was a great yep. experience. I mean, since the last podcast, I mean, just the statistics, my net gain has been one dog. My net cat gain has been zero cats. Now I have all of lost Charlie since our last podcast. Rest mm-hmm. in peace. But, you know, um, you had a, a great time hanging out with my animals, and we were glad to host you since you didn't have to go to Cleveland, the, the butthole of sports and America. So <laughs> saved you from that purgatory. <laughs> i got to say, I think, um, I think of myself as like a, a nice uncle or a godfather to your pets. Do they ever talk about me? They do. I mean, they look at me because they, they want you to just lay around with them and nap. And, and I don't do that. I force them outside in the cold. <laughs> me, we would never walk. They would exactly. They would poop indoors. They'd pee indoors, and we would just we'd be chilling. It'd be great. <laughs> That's like my. Uh, so for everybody that doesn't know, my dog Murphy has um, pretty bad anxiety. She's on Xanax full time. Same as a as a, <laughs> same yeah, as a dog dog nanny. So I don't know how much she gets walked anymore. So I just you were a good preface to her dog nanny because I, I think she just gets to go around the block and come back inside now. I feel bad for her. <laughs> well, I can't walk too far. It's a dangerous neighborhood out there. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. That's right. You you witnessed a little uh skerfuffle we had down on the corner there. <laughs> well we praise your apartment for how nice it is and it is nice. But at the same time, it's brushing my teeth, and we heard gunshots down the way, a couple blocks away. So everything's nice indoors, and you look outside, and it's just pure chaos. <laughs> you know, it's really bad because, you know, the the lines like you see in movies, like the, the 70s, and they open up the, the bad ghetto scene that the, the main hero gets out of. That's where everybody's hanging their clothes out, out in the side yard. They're just right. leaving them up to dry, but it's 30 degrees outside, and their underwear is frozen like SpongeBob. they got to jump into them and walk around. I feel it's bad because this whole area is being gentrified and new apartments are coming up, but um, I'm definitely like the, the border wall between the, the nicer east and the, you know, Cheaper West. Yeah, that's why you can afford the rent. You're just right on the edge there. Can't complain yeah. about that. No, it's uh, it's been a while since our last podcast, and just you know, like you said, we got a lot of requests. So I guess we should just apologize that we didn't have time. Just things got crazy, you know. I I moved and we just got busy. You know, stuff happens, but we're back at it. Yeah, life happens. I mean, just a few stats, like I said, I, I wanted to throw out. I mean, since our last podcast was in January, you've moved from a high school reporting to a college. That's a 1D net gain. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to Iowa. That's a net loss of one spirit. Okay, I went in March, so I I got to experience the frozen tundra that is Iowa. Yeah, um, yeah. If anybody from Iowa is listening, I just I apologize, but it's just a... Uh... It's a brutal state, man. 
it's um, it's cold <laughs> even in March. <laughs> and then, but that's and, an understatement. Yeah, and then here it's like it'd be like sixty degrees, and people are like, "Oh my gosh, it's so cold today. Why are you wearing shorts?" And uh, it's just like a totally different lifestyle. Then again, we did have a nor'easter and it was freezing cold. I thought it was big, bad, and tough, and we had a storm. But yeah, it's uh, it's just totally different. The humidity and heat here compared to Iowa. So I mean, you remember when the weather report said frozen rain, and in my mind, I was like, snow, hail, like you know, what is that? But it really, literally freezes on contact because the ground is so much more miserable than ten thousand feet from where the rain is falling. So that just gives you a little glimpse into Iowa weather. Have we had a podcast since we almost died? We haven't. Oh That's what I'm saying. Gosh. This has been since January. Wow. Okay, so yeah, you came in March. And he was going to stay a few days, check out Algona, where I lived. And um, he did. And then we were going to drive up in the morning and go back to Minneapolis, where there's the airport there, right? Which yep. is a two-and-a-half-hour drive. Algona's a little bit secluded, so if you want to get to an airport, you got to drive a couple hours. And so we were going to get up at like 4 a.m. We were going to get up, and we saw it was yep. freezing rain. And we had freezing rain back in, in Oregon. So we thought, okay, you know, that's a myth. There's nothing <laughs> freezing. It's, it's weak. It's just going to be cold and rainy. But <laughs> we, we get right in the car because we're tired, and we need to get there to make it back in time. And we're driving along, and we get coffee at McDonald's. And <laughs> the guy goes... What are you guys doing out right now? <laughs> and we're we're like, oh, I mean, we're we're just driving to Minneapolis. We gotta go. It's just a little rain, and then that was pretty ominous. We probably should have uh, heeded the warning there of the great wise man giving us coffee at McDonald's. But we got on the road, and I didn't even know, so I was just ripping it. I went up to fifty miles per hour almost immediately, and. <laughs> We, we were just almost straight up sideways immediately. <laughs> just no traction, no control. But you, could, you, you were there. You could see. I had no fear. I was stoic. Probably because <laughs> I was so tired. That might have helped my cause that I was like, yep. okay, well, we're just about to die. So that's, that's what's going to happen. But I got control back and we lived. I think both of us simultaneously shouted, and one, as we were going off into the ditch. We were trying to, I mean, the, the for the viewers, the window had frozen over. I mean, as the rain is falling, it completely freezes over the window. So the visibility is lackluster, to say the least. We were careening off the road yelling, and one, coffee's everywhere, four in the morning. And, um, you know, for my next part of the story, I thought I'd buy a Greyhound bus ticket and try to escape Iowa that way. But when I got to the Greyhound station, which is about an hour outside of Algona, if that gives you a relative scale of the size of Algona, I was sitting in the bus station and the buses were canceled. So it was me and the Greyhound people absolutely talking all day, absolutely ripping it. I was best friends. I was making fun of their little point of sale system, tell them how to work some things, trying to get a, trying to get a refund that never happened. And, you know, long story short, I had to uh, hitchhike out of a Walmart parking lot and rent a car and drive up north. So if you ever go to Iowa in the winter, just, you know, pack some extra provisions and food. Did you actually hitchhike? I actually hitchhiked. I mean, I was, remember, Algona is an hour outside of the Walmart, right? Back. So I was like, okay, I'm either calling him and going to miss my flight again, or I go out into the parking lot and look for the nicest dude i could find and just approach him because i mean i'm in 
I'm in jeans and like a pea coat in which for the Iowa area, and I'm, I'm not saying they're not fashion forward, but it's not the East Coast by any stretch of the imagination. I think he 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 sized me up, thought he could probably take me in a one-on-one street fight, and then <laughs> offered me his services down to the rent-a-car place because I was like, please, sir, please take me to the nearest rent-a-car. I just need to get home. <laughs> so anyway, he dropped me off, and he was pretty cool about it. But um, And then the, the rent-a-car place was like, what are you doing out here? And then they had to max out my insurance. cost me a fortune to get out of there. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, it was crazy. I just spent $250 just to rent a car to get up north after the Greyhound ticket. Man, what a journey. But you made it back. <clears throat> made it back. And that was all Thankfully. since the last podcast. Yep. For freezing um, rain. Don't mess around freezing rain. That's what we learned. No. And, and think about this. <laughs> Just switching to the back to back to Cleveland. The Cavs since the last podcast <laughs> have just have plateaued at 500. But since the playoffs, they were 12 and 10 in the playoffs. Now they're 1 and 11 for a combined record of 13 and 23. And that's with the finals with LeBron James. So this has been a far, a far year in terms of since our last decent podcast. Man, the fact that LeBron took them, I mean, it's just the same team, you know? Like, okay, with, even with Kevin Love, doesn't matter. He took them to the finals. It's truly unbelievable. I mean, it's truly unbelievable. Cavs are terrible. Um, we'll probably get to that in our NBA segment, but I wanted to shout out one last statistic. About 3,800 sea turtles have died from plastics and straws and overfishing since our last prod, uh, podcast. So just wanted to make sure that everybody on a decent podcast is aware of the straws they are using and then the plastic debris that's going in our oceans. So Wow. What do, I, yeah. what do, you, do you have any tips for me if I'm at Chick-fil-A and I'm given a straw? <laughs> I think you, you take it, you get out of the car, park the car, you take the straw, you go into Chick-fil-A, you start stabbing people with it, like <laughs> passive-aggressively right in the back, just like they do the sea turtles. We stab them in the back every year. <laughs> no, um, That's a yeah, genius. You request no straws if you can, especially if you're at a bar. I know they give you those two little weak mini drinking straws you know, that you get with your, your sodas. Those are turtle killers. Um, those are turtle killers. I mean, they just get lodged in the windpipe. They go up their eye. Um, if you buy beer, you know, you try to get in the cardboard box, not in the little, um, the keg grabber, the little six pack grab plastic rings. Those are terrible. Um, but you know, the sea back leather, leatherback turtles just in the last year have gone into the endangered species list and it's mainly due to plastic straws and plastic debris. So, um, I think we just need to be cognizant of it as the first step and changing it. Uh, wow. That's very, I did not expect something that nice. <laughs> I bet you didn't. <laughs> very nice. <laughs> I'm just, you know, we're aware on a decent podcast. I mean, it's, it's yeah, it's a sports show, and it's, and it's a couple guys shooting it, but... It's called being woke. Yeah, we're woke. We're, we're looking out for the leatherback population. Um, That's right. Shout out to them, leatherback turtles. Um, and then, um, so I'm ready to jump in the NBA segment whenever you are. All right, hey, let's do it. Let's do it. Uh, I mean, I don't know where you wanted to start, but obviously uh, the most pertinent thing is... To me, at least off the bat, is uh, the 76ers making the trade and getting Jimmy Butler. I think just the best thing to do would be to, to go over um, the most recent news and Jimmy Butler acquired by the 76ers. And for me, looking at the Timberwolves, the Timberwolves are getting a lot of flack for not taking Houston's four first-round picks and instead taking Covington and Sharich. And on the one hand, yes, Houston is getting older. But I think that's a 
aggressive, a really good organization. I don't think the Rockets' four first-round picks are going to be very good. Even if Chris Paul, they got rid of him, um, James Harden's not going anywhere. And like I said, Daryl Morey and that organization is very aggressive. I don't think they're going to be very valuable picks. So I like getting Covington in charge. Covington fits in perfectly. He's 3 and D, very balanced, as good as it gets there. Charge is a good player. So I think he compliments Towns and uh, and Wiggins well because they needed some defense, and Covington brings that. So just as much flack as the Timberwolves are getting, I think it's good for them to just get it over with because Jimmy Butler, it was evident that he hated <laughs> Every, everything about that organization. Yeah. He hated Tibbs, hated his teammates, and now they wipe the slate clean and they get a couple of decent players out of it. Yeah, I think historically people err on the side that whoever gets the best player in an NBA trade wins the trade. But I think this is one of those very rare situations where it was a win-win for both both franchises because on the one hand, Minnesota had to move Jimmy Butler while the, the trade um, trades were still coming in and they were still aggressive. Uh, you know, you didn't want to end up with an Depot type of situation where people didn't get back what they were supposed to or um, historical trades like that. But I think Jimmy Butler instantly makes the 76ers better. Obviously, he brings in a veteran leadership, um, a guy, a top 15, top 20 player, whatever you want to value him at, that can instantly help their franchise win. I mean, when you have Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid to, you know, form a big three is is super valuable, especially in the Eastern Conference this year. That's a total, total up for grabs. Um, in the West, the Timberwolves get a little bit deeper because that basically splits Jimmy Butler into two players. One, they can bring off the bench, and then Covington, who is an all-defense, I think, first-team all-defense last year, guy that they can start in the rotation. Um, for you know Carl Anthony Towns and Wiggins, who might not put a premium on defense, that's going to help them immensely. So I do think it's one of those rare situations that works out for both both teams. But I will say that I'm a little weary on the 76ers um, how maybe he's not the best fit for them. I would have liked them to see maybe acquire Bradley Beal or someone that's more of a three-point shooter. Uh, the only reason I say that is because they are 22nd in three-point percentage right now in the entire NBA. Um, you know, with the league where it's trending, it's not necessarily winning basketball to be that low shooting. Jimmy Butler is not really known for a three-point percentage. And, you know, the the teams that are below them, frankly, are terrible. We, you know, the only teams that are below them in three-point percentage, the 76ers, I mean, are the Suns, Knicks, Wizards, Magic, Pistons, and Rockets in that order. Now, that's some of the worst teams in the NBA, and they're not going to get any better trading Saric and Covington on the three-point line. And aside from what the rest of the league is doing, I think that's a good point to value shooting because you have Ben Simmons, who's an unstoppable slasher and one of the best passers in the NBA, and Joel Embiid, who, yeah, he can hit threes, but he's dominant on the low post. J.J. Redick is getting older. He's a kind of a temporary, temporary fix to them needing shooting. With all the defense that Simmons and Embiid are going to be attracting the next decade, you want a guy that's a shooter. And Jimmy Butler can do that, and I think it's going to help him. He's going to get open looks, and his three-point percentage should rise. But I think that's a fair point. But what I love is the consistency of Jimmy Butler. Through all of this, it's pretty amazing with Jimmy Butler now kind of getting a reputation as being potentially a guy that's tough in the locker room because he's so outspoken. And I'm fine with it. But it shows you how good of a player he is, that these teams don't care, that these teams don't call him a diva. 
that these teams don't say he's an issue in the locker room. They still want him because he works his butt off on the court. He plays defense. He brings it every game. And when you do that, no one questions you. When you're out there roasting your teammates, roasting your coaches, everyone's saying, well, he's uh, the best player on the team. And I don't know that he is the best player on the team with the Philly now, but it just shows you how great of a player he is. That His consistency is huge for them because Embiid gets in foul trouble once in a while. Frankly, Ben Simmons sometimes doesn't show up. He has games where he isn't aggressive enough. So Butler is a huge addition to Philly. But do they have enough? Still probably not. I still think they're a few years away. But that's where it makes it interesting is will Jimmy Butler fall in love with playing with Simmons and Embiid? It's going to be important for the future of their organization. And then just the two more points that I wanted to make about this this whole trade, because it is a blockbuster trade, so we do we should spend a, a decent amount of time on them. You know, one of the things is I think people are quick to forget how good Jimmy Butler is. Not a few years ago, he almost took the Bulls past LeBron's Cavaliers. And that bowl team was a bunch of spare parts. I mean, Rondo, Old Wade, and Butler was balling out in that series, controlling both sides of the ball. He's an amazing first-team you know, defender, 25 points per game guy. Um, but you know, he is an older star, so his contract's going to come up pretty soon. He's going to want the Supermax probably, or at least the Max. I don't know what he's eligible for um, from the 76ers. So will they be able to give it to that, give it to him thinking that's going to be enough to get them to NBA finals? Um, and then the other thing that I think factored into this trade was his maturity and his grit and his grind is going to bring a lot to Ben Simmons and Embiid. I think they're kind of immature players. I know they're young, but Embiid especially is a very – um, loose player. I, I don't want to say he's immature when he's dropping 40, but he's definitely a loose player with a lot of potential. And I think that bringing a guy like Butler in could be the best thing that ever happens to this to his career. I know that um, Shaq learned to win kind of with Kobe together. Um, I don't want to compare Jimmy Butler and, and be to Shaq by any stretch of the imagination, but it definitely helped um, Shaq grow into his maturity and focus on the game more and about winning basketball with Kobe there by his side. And I think Butler can be kind of that role for him. We've been, excuse me, uh, we've been known to be against Pythagorean theorem and the advanced stats. <laughs> and what you can't measure is attitude, and that is what Jimmy Butler brings. And his attitude is on the court. I'm talking about is fantastic. He's gritty. He's tenacious. He's intense. He has no fear. That didn't rub off on Cat or Wiggins. Frankly, I love Cat. He's a phenomenal talent, but he doesn't bring that same mentality. Uh, Butler does, and that's why he catches flack for it, because he doesn't bring that toughness. And Wiggins doesn't bring that to the floor either. Otherwise, with his size and athleticism, he should be one of the best defenders in the NBA, and he isn't. So uh, Butler has that. That's why he went, you know, you hear about it, he went from undrafted to being one of the best players in the NBA because of that attitude. So I I really hope it rubs off on Simmons and Embiid, because if it does, that team's going to be unbelievably scary to watch. And be able to have some to compete with the Warriors and then them and the Bucks are going to have some unbelievable battles but one thing I did want to bring up I'm wondering what this does for the future of Markel Fultz there's already been a conversation of uh, I don't think he's a bust I think it's, it's too early to say he's a bust because he hasn't been on the field, on the floor that much um, and when he has played he, he hasn't been horrible but the team is where it's at trying to compete in the Eastern Conference they're not like the Hawks. They can't play Fultz 35 minutes a game and say, hey, go make some mistakes, go out there and develop. 
So they're in a situation where do they think he's going to be a star in the future? Or do they trade for a point guard that's a much better outside shooter to complement Butler and Beaton Simmons? That's a question here. It's, uh, it's kind of what the Lakers are going through right now with Lonzo Ball. It's even if you think he's going to be an excellent player in the future, are you willing to wait? Or do you get rid of him while his value's high, while you know his value is going to be high? It's just an interesting quandary for organizations that are combining developing players and winning now. You know, Fultz is a really interesting um, situation for the 76ers. I mean, like you said, on one hand, I don't think he's a bust. Sometimes he flashes plays that are brilliant. Then sometimes he looks like he's totally disinterested or he has injuries nagging him. I can't really tell, but it, it, it's the same facial features to me. But for this 76ers team, in, in my opinion, I would look to be dealing him pretty soon. His value is apparently pretty high, and I think that some teams will value him a lot. I mean, like, for example, the Nets or something, he would be the best player on the Nets tomorrow if they if they wanted to trade for him. And he probably has a 20 points per game you know, ceiling, maybe a little bit more than that, depending on if he ever heals fully or his shoulder or his shooting form gets better. But for this 76ers team, as constructed, you have to move forward with with Simmons and Embiid, and they have so many uh, first-round picks still. Um, they're not devoid of all of their future in, in that department either. So I think, in my opinion, they should be moving Fultz, and they should be moving him quickly while his, drag, uh, while his stock is high. Yeah, it's... um. It's an interesting situation for them. And like I said, it is kind of similar to the Lakers as well with some young talent and obviously LeBron James. So we'll see what the Sixers do moving forward. All right, so we had some um, some questions here. We had some, some kind of uh, some questions both of us have prepared for the other to answer. So, and obviously we can bounce around and still talk about some other subjects. But we each prepared five questions that we'll talk about here as we progress. And uh, I will let you start with your first question. Awesome. And and the reason we're doing this, and to preface this, is because it's been so long that there would be too much to cover if we tried to you know talk about everything that happened since the last finals and going into this year. So we both handpicked five questions that we wanted to talk about. So for my first question, um, what has been your biggest surprise this season? I'll, I'll tell you mine first, and then I'll let you go yeah. um, because I have research, and I don't want you. Yep, exactly. I don't want you to take my shine. So this is my shine. This is my time. All right. <laughs> Skip. All right. This is the <laughs> my biggest surprise this season has been the Clippers. They are seven and five. Um, I'm just going to list their roster to you, and then I'm going to list their PER. Um, Oh, no. Ratings for their starters. Oh, yeah, no. yeah. I hate that rating, but I'm oh. gonna list it. Have you been converted? What I've been for the how Clippers? Long, long I'm gonna make an exception. Last episode, about ten <laughs> months, and all of a sudden we come back, and within 25 minutes you just dropped a PER. What has happened? Well, I let me tell you, I can't point to any other fact that why they're playing well. So I got to point to something. What, what do you want me to point to? All right, do you, dude? Let's hear the PERs. Let's hear the Pythagorean. So their star of the Clippers is Tobias Harris. He's got a PER of nineteen point seven. Then they got Gallinari. What's that? Let's get some. 19... Ref- let's get a reference point here. Is that good? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Good point. Mine's so like, mine's like twenty nine point six. So. <laughs> but not on the basketball court. I don't know what you're talking about. But <laughs> <laughs> so so for everybody, the highest PER that's ever recorded has been right around 35. I think Michael Jordan and LeBron 
Um, Steph Curry did it that one year. He won unanimous MVP. So right around 33 to 36 is as high as PER as you can get. Um, PER factors in a lot of things that um, the Pythagorean theorem masters would know more about, but they take into shooting percentages, um, efficiency, win shares, and they kind of player efficiency rating. There you go. Mm -hmm. So player efficiency rating. So they take in a bunch of of auxiliary variables and try to lump them into one group stat. Nice. And I think the average, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, is, is 15 for the league. So if you're below 15, you're obviously below average, and above that, you're you're doing great. So the Clippers, who I had called, if we can recall, last year for Doc Rivers to be on the hot seat, I've started out 7-5, and five, which is really good in a Western Conference. And they played some uh, tough opponents. Um, so it's not like it's a false Atlanta Hawk, Cleveland Cavalier 7-5. and five. So there, Tobias Harris has a 19.7 PER. Gallinari has a 19.6 PER. Lou Williams has a 19.5 PER. Montrezl Harrell has a 25.6 PER. I probably butchered his name. Is that why you're laughing? Uh, yeah, kind of. It's just Montrez Harrell. But did you say 25? I said it, 25.6. I love him. And get ready for this. Boban has a 27.8 PPR. Well, you better have a PP when you're as tall as him. <laughs> you better have a PER that's high <laughs> because you yeah, yeah, have a liability, but your efficiency better be high. You can't exactly. Miss. So, just you know, I mean that that kind of highlights some of the efficient basketball they're playing. The only reason I say that is because um, I definitely don't think this is sustainable in the long run, especially in the Western Conference. But I do want to give the Clippers a big shout out uh, while they're playing well, and this is a bunch of spare parts, honestly, that are putting it together and putting in a really good season thus far. Okay. What was the question again? Biggest surprise. So the okay. Biggest surprise. Okay. okay. Open ended. Yes. Uh, I got the Memphis Grizzlies. I wanted to focus on a team too, and this is a this is the one I thought you were going to choose as your team. I mean, you just gotta love it. It feels like they do it every year. We should have known they got Marcus Allen, Mike Conley back from injury. Should have known they were going to be in the mix, but overlooked yep. them, and they were able to play a ton of younger players last year because of all the injuries. And it's paying off this year with Conley and Gasol back, and they're seven and four. And yeah, we're eleven games in, eleven to twelve games in, but they are fourth in the Western Conference. So whatever happens, they deserve a ton of credit. They are playing great, and uh, I love seeing the Memphis Grizzlies succeed. So that's my biggest surprise. I love how on this a decent podcast we're a huge fan of Memphis Grizzlies because the Grindhouse. I love their culture. <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> it's just fun to watch. You can't beat it. And and the other thing that we should mention too for biggest surprise before we move on is um, definitely the Kings too. Just oh. being in the mix in the Western Conference. That's a, that's a I mean amazing surprise there. I don't know if you're going to talk about them later, but all Western Conference teams that I for sure thought would be in the the race for the number one pick. Yeah, they're they're playing great ball. Brooklyn Nets are doing a solid job. There's a few surprises, and then there's also some surprises the other way that are struggling. All so right. that that brings me to my question, if I may. Who? I'll let you go first, because I'm I'm generous. Who is the biggest fraud in the NBA? It's pretty open ended. Oh, that is open ended. Um, I'm gonna go with. And we're very critical of this guy, so <laughs> maybe I'm beating a dead horse, but I'm going to go with Nikola Jokic for the, for the Denver Nuggets. Um, I know the Denver Nuggets are playing really well this year. They're 9-3, and three, so I'll preface all my criticism for that. His PER uh, is like 35,000, right? <laughs> yep, it's at least 45. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's off the charts. I mean, he's he's putting up 
crazy numbers this year. The the only thing, and maybe it's my old school train of thought, but I don't think that you can win many NBA basketball games with a finesse center. Um, I think it's in, in especially in today's NBA. You have to have really great guard play and a center that protects the rim at a high level and rebounds at a high level. And I'm not saying Jokic isn't capable of that, but he is definitely offensive geared. And so I just don't think that you can build a title contending team around him. And I know all the Pythagorean theorem formulas and all the analysts love him and love his play. But, you know, I heard on the other night TNT Shaq was saying he dropped 50 on him, and I totally believe that. And I know Shaq says that about everybody, but I think he's weak. So that's going to be my um, – my pretender. Yeah, and it's you're right. We are pretty. We've always been pretty critical of Jokic, and he's definitely a good player. You know, he's got a lot of skills. He's a smart player, but he definitely benefits because the Nuggets are not a very good defensive team. They play really well at home, and um, they certainly have good team chemistry. But uh, yeah, I think his stats, I think, are a little bit inflated, especially in a league with the center play being a little bit better as of late, but the center play is just not very good. You don't have to bang with, with fellow big guys on a night-by-night basis. There's no, you know, there's no Bobons on a night-by-night basis. No. There's just not very many centers, and a lot of them that are playing are skinnier players and guys that are smaller than Jokic, so he's able to take advantage of that. So I think I think that's a big factor, and uh, I agree with you. And it's just, it's harsh to say he's the biggest fraud in the NBA. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm sorry. I mean, his usage rate is also really high to his credit. Um, so they do run the offense through him, so that's a lot of pressure for a big guy. I don't want to discount him there. but um, They don't have a point guard either, to be fair. That's very true. They basically have two true shooting guards, so they have to run it out of him. Um, yeah, that is harsh to say he's the biggest fraud, but he's the biggest stature fraud-wise, if you will, size-wise that I could think of at the moment. I'd love to just see Shaq in the current NBA, not just against oh. Jokic, but against everyone, because – his dominance would swing things back. I mean, I don't. I don't think he could beat the Warriors by himself, obviously. But if he could get on a squad, the Warriors couldn't stop him. Period. And they try to get nobody could. They could. They try to get him in pick and roll situations. But it's just when you get a dominant player or a dominant team, it'll swing things back. If we had Shaq in today's league, I think he'd probably we'd see more and more centers, and we'd see less outside shooting than we currently see. You know, everything goes in cycles, so we'll see when, when we go back. Maybe when, Zion, You'd absolutely, maybe when Zion Williamson gets in the league, he'll swing it back. <laughs> You'd absolutely have to counter Shaq. I mean, he's such a – you couldn't just let him – he could score every single time if the Warriors played a prime Shaq now. Uh, every single time, without a doubt. He probably he – he could go for 70 against them. I mean, Kevin Looney's not going to stop him. If you put Draymond Green on him, that's barbecue chicken all night. So – yeah, you're right. I mean, yes, three is greater than two, but percentage-wise, if you're shooting 80% from two, that's not going to help. It'd probably be Hack-A-Shack. Um, unfortunately, that's probably what it boiled down to. And then if he had improved free throws, that would really make, be the difference maker. But he'd be unstoppable. Definitely. All right. Uh, what's your next question? Uh, it's your turn to answer. You never answered uh, oh. your own your your own question. Oh, really? Oh, uh, let's see if I can remember here. Oh, uh I'm trying biggest to fraud. Biggest fraud in the NBA. Uh, for me, I'm going to go with the Portland Trailblazers. I hate okay. to say that, but they have not had a very easy or a very tough schedule so far. And they are 9-3. and three. They 
do not disrupt defensively. You know, they're pretty solid defensively, but you still have uh, Willard and McCollum there in the backcourt, and, and Nurkic is not a great defender either. So I think Portland's defense is going to be their downfall. They're really hot right now. They're shooting the ball well and playing well offensively. The moment they go through a cold spell, that's when they lose games. you got to be able to be more than one-dimensional, and I think Portland's very one-dimensional. So I got uh, Trailblazers right now, biggest fraud in the NBA. That's sad to hear you say that. I feel like I, they have gotten better since last year with the addition, uh, the emergence of play of Zach Collins, and then the addition of Nick Stauskas. But you're totally right. Hot streak for fact, any yeah, NBA. The fact that you yeah. just said those two names, just putting them over the edge, I think just supports my. <laughs> yeah, that's a totally supports your theory. I, they can't keep up this kind of shooting, um, and their defense is porous at best. And Lillard and McCollum aren't known for for defense either. So that's probably a good call, and they could. Unfortunately, they could be a high seed because you know in the regular season teams don't clamp down defensively, um, so they're not looking for night to night grindhouse wins like Memphis does. So they could be a high seed and get bounced again. So I don't want to let Blazers fans down, but that's just the reality of it. That's how it is. We'll see. I mean, yeah. uh, it's tough for the Blazers because they get questioned every year, and Lillard gets left off All Stars just like Lamarcus Aldridge used to, but. Facts are facts. Got to play a little. Facts are facts. For my next question, I got um, who is your early most improved player of the year candidate? Um, Would you like to answer that first? Yep. Uh, I'm I'm biased. I got a black Mamba sweatshirt on right now, actually. (laughs) But you got to go with JaVale McGee, right? I mean, maybe you don't have to, but I would. I mean, (laughs) he not only is he getting more minutes. But he's playing excellent ball. I mean, I've been – I mean, obviously, let's not go too far. He's benefiting from playing LeBron James, as everyone does, and the other Lakers' talented players. But he has a similar role to what he had in Golden State, which is protecting the rim, finishing around the hoop, and he's doing a great job of it. He's leaned on more. He's asked to do more because of the depth at center before the addition of Tyson Chandler for the Lakers. McGee was, you know, past him. There was basically no center. There would be a, a very small lineup when he came out, which hurt the Lakers' defense a lot. That's why the addition of Chandler helps. But anyway, JaVale McGee, he's playing great this year. He's scoring. He's playing excellent defense, protecting the hoop without fouling. And he gets made fun of a lot because he has some hilarious blunders. But <laughs> at the age of, uh, I believe he's 30 years old this year, maybe 29, he's having the best season of his career. Yeah, undoubtedly, he was on my. I, I wrote three. I see a three-horse race right now for most improved player of the year. He's one of my horses. He's gone just just to quantify what you just said. Last year, he averaged five points per game and two rebounds. He's up to fourteen points per game and seven rebounds. And not only that, he's leading one of the you know leaders in the league in blocks because um, he's so quick rotating back to the hoop that he's getting his hands on a lot of balls. So that's been huge minutes for the Lakers. Uh, my other two horses in this race are De'Aaron Fox. Going, he's averaging right now 19 points per game, five assists, and three rebounds. Um, but the guy that I think is leading it right now, and although his team record might not reflect that, is actually Zach Levine. He's coming off an injury, but last year he averaged 16 and a half points per game. He's in the top five in scoring at 27.2 points per game on 46% shooting and 86% free throw percentage. So a guy like that athletic, you can't foul him because he's going to bury his shots at the line. Um, and if you think about it, uh, it looks like the Bulls kind of fleeced the Timberwolves on that trade, um, giving up Dunn, Levine, and Markinen, and they turned around and shipped 
Jimmy Butler off for um, uh, for those two guys from the 76ers. So, wow, they gave up a lot of players uh, on the Timberwolves side. But, yeah, he's playing outstanding this year. Definitely my front runner for most improved player of the year. It is uh, That's true. I mean, it was at first saying uh, Levine's just a dunker, but he's bringing it together. And the T-Wolves decided to part with Zach Levine instead of parting with Andrew Wiggins. And Wiggins is not developing like Levine is, so maybe that was the wrong decision. And now the Timberwolves are down another star. And it's easy to use the whatever, I don't know, math. I don't, see, I don't know Pythagorean theorem. Whatever <laughs> transitive associative property that is and just weaving it around that way with trades and saying who has the, the short end of the stick. But it certainly looks like the Timberwolves because the Bulls have a young core including Markkanen, who's a good player. Yep. And, uh, yeah, Levine's balling. He's playing well this year. Can you imagine? I mean, 27 points per game. When I when I looked that up, I mean, I've watched. Everybody's seen Levine dunk, but I don't think people realize uh, how great he's rebounded from that injury and how well he's playing for the Bulls. And it might not reflect in their record, um, especially when they get absolutely murdered by the Warriors on national television. Um, but Levine has been a huge bright spot for them, and um, they have a really nice young core going forward and probably see a huge rebound if not the bottom half of this season, maybe next season, they're going to be playing at least 500 ball, in my opinion. Yeah, and his uh, his 16.5 points per game that he had last year was also really not indicative of where he was because he was right off the tour in ACL. So he played True. you know half the season. But yeah, he's he's playing great. That's a that's a good choice. Kimball Walker also, I mean, he's he slowed down a little bit, but he had a torrid start to the year. He's playing well for Charlotte, even though they're 500 as well. He can only do so much for Charlotte. I, I, I was shocked he willed them to those wins when he did. He was going off every night for 38 to 40 points. But as a six-foot guard, you can only do so much for an entire team. Yeah, it's just incredibly bad GMing and ownership on the on the Hornets' part to absolutely be totally mediocre for the eternity of their franchise. Not even try to tank, but to just flop around in mediocrity and have Kemba Walker be your leading franchise points per game or points score total is is just an indictment on the ownership and the GM. The, the offense is just stand around and watch Kimball Walker. I mean, that's what it's been for four years, and Kimba's getting better and better at it. <laughs> the point when he's got he's to get some help. I mean, Malik Monk is, is getting better, but they don't have any bigs. You know, Batum's getting older. Batum's pretty much being what he's always been, which is fairly average, and Kid Gilchrist is probably the worst shooter in the league i mean <laughs> their recipe for success right now is just is not good but they should blow it up they should really just blow it up because to be in the sixth seventh eighth ninth slots in the east the eastern conference if you will um is the worst spot to be in worse than the cleveland cavaliers because at least they'll get a number one pick out of it but the hornets aren't even drafting high they're just squandering kemba walker's years and really just you know for north carolina i mean you should be you should be PO'd about this. Yep, yeah, exactly. I, I don't care. I'm not that invested in the Hornets, but <laughs> a lot of people <laughs> are. And uh, they did make a good pick, I will say, Miles Bridges. But, I mean, you're gonna, it's going to take a few years for that. By that time, Kimbo's going to be about 35 years old. So, yeah. yeah, we'll see what they do moving forward. Uh, okay, so I'll take the next question. Uh, yep. This is a pretty specific question here about Jamal Murray. Do, this okay. is kind of older news, but we're going to bring it back a little bit. We'll discuss it. Do you have a problem? So, well, Jamal Murray, 48 points against the Celtics. Great game. Game's over. 
should just run the clock out. There's five seconds left. And people watching are thinking, no way. He's not going to shoot it. He's not going to. He's got the ball. You're thinking, no, no, he's not going to do it. And he did. He launched it up, and he didn't make it. He ended up with 48 points. Uh, I thought it was a Bush League move. That, I'll just answer the question already. I was just <laughs> going to ask you if you had a problem with it. I thought it was Bush League. And people say, well, stop him from scoring 48. Well, absolutely. But him scoring and acting that way at the end of the game, I don't know if it's an unwritten rule or however you want to phrase it. But to me, I think uh, that's more indicative of Jamal Murray. He doesn't ever think he's going to approach 50 points a game in a game again that he's just going to chuck up a shot there at the end you've already won the game and uh, I think it's kind of embarrassing for him rather than getting on Kyrie Irving for being frustrated so I'm I'm glad you brought up Kyrie Irving because we can't ignore the other part in this equation the only reason this has got um, this much attention is Kyrie Irving talking about it for uh, seemingly days on end afterwards and, and being so triggered and offended by the by the shot um, so for for me I do in a vacuum have a problem with Jamal Murray shooting that shot. I don't think that you have to shoot that shot. He was just going for 50, like you said. Um, but I will say that Kyrie Irving is in the wrong in the way he handled it and the way he reacted and brought attention to it. Um, I think he's just looking for an excuse for his poor performance and the Celtics' poor start to the beginning of the season. Um, and I think that he's taking it out singularly on Jamal Murray. So, Jamal Murray is not the first one to do that. I remember Gerald Henderson, or um, excuse me, Gerald Wallace, uh, was going for a triple-double and purposely bricked a rebound on a fast break to try to get a triple-double. So this wouldn't be the Don't first. You, you slandered Gerald Wallace. Like... <laughs> <laughs> you didn't think I was going to work in the Gerald Wallace reference to this podcast, did you? <laughs> but uh, he wouldn't be the first NBA player to do that, nor the last. Um, Kyrie Irving himself is probably guilty of trying to rack up some points on some players just because it was the end of the end of the game um, doesn't really affect it in this situation. So I think Kyrie's more in the wrong than Jamal Murray is for this situation. Well, yes, but I think it. the point is not, you know, stop him and then you're allowed to complain because there's an 82-game season, right? It's not like Kyrie Irving is complaining, saying, man, we always lose to the Nuggets. It's not fair. It was one game in Denver where we know the Nuggets have an unfair advantage because of their elevation, and Jamal Murray had a great game against the Celtics, and he you know, pulls that at the end of the game. But at the end of the day, the Celtics are going to be a better team than the Nuggets, and none of it's even going to matter. So I think Kyrie was more upset about the principles, and I think Kyrie overreacted. I agree. I think he kind of went into Uncle Drew mode. I don't know if you've seen the movie yet, but he talks about uh, the fundamentals of the game and the right way to play the game. I think he thought he was Uncle Drew, and he was trying to preach and teach Jamal Murray a lesson. But it's also, they had uh, the kid that caught the ball, or his parents caught the ball, and they had the kid bring it back, and they said, oh, the kid got Jamal Murray's 48-point ball for him. And I'm thinking, 48-point ball? Since when do you, since when is the ball that you scored 48 points with that big of a deal I mean obviously I'm you know I hate 48 points is very impressive but there's guys that drop 48 points pretty often let's not like let's not act like this ball is the most important piece you know that he needs this ball I think like I said Jamal Murray thinks he's never going to approach 50 points a game in a game again then uh, that's what he's shown it it feels like Jamal Murray never thinks he's going to have a game like that again 
Yeah, that's exactly the right. <clears throat> that's exactly the right point. Is he? It felt like he was never going to hit that point mark again. And he's kind of a B level player, so maybe he won't. But he's he's capable. He's shown he's capable of lighting it up like that and, and catching fire like that. But I kind of have a, a rhetorical, not a rhetorical question for you, but a, a follow up question. Do you have a problem with someone like Westbrook going for that tenth rebound at the end of the game when the game's locked up? Is it really? for you the shot going for 50 when the game is out of the line but what about people that are going for that 10th assist like maybe lebron has gone for that 10th rebound to try to get his triple double in the finals um when the game is maybe out of reach maybe you shouldn't go for the rebound then and let his center clean it up is that a big deal for you uh i think it's that's a fair point but i also think it's it's different if there's like three minutes left in the game and, and if you know it's a 20 point lead and westbrook's about to go out of the game and he fights for a rebound now if you make it if you're aggressively playing defense and you get a stop and you crash the board and you get the rebound, then I think it's fine. Because are you talking about you know purposefully missing a layup? Because then that's bush league. But if you do it within the the integrity of a real play, I don't have a problem with it. And I sound like an old man, you know, like baseball fan, where they're not allowed to <laughs> to flip the bat a certain way. But it's I don't know. Maybe it's just I don't know. Maybe it's a personal problem. I kind of viewed that on the same level as Westbrook aggressively boxing out his his own his own players sometimes up fifteen or twenty. Yeah, Westbrook he, just let him grab it. That. Yeah, and there's a lot of players that will do just like other non-shooting or non-points per game statistics that they're trying to stuff. So, um, in Jamal Murray's defense, like I said, he's not the first nor the last person to ever go for that kind of statistic. To be fair, some of these guys have contract bonuses if they average a certain amount. So. Right. Also, um, side note, by the way, credit DeAndre Jordan. He's on fire for the free throw line. Big time. I watched it. I watched the Mavs play um, just highlights, and he's just burying free throws. He's got to be up, and I, I don't. I'm just throwing this out there. He's got to be up like 20 percentage free throw points or something this year. It's, it's incredible. I just wanted to bring that up because he deserves credit because we made fun of him because he can't make a free throw, and now he's draining him. He can't hack DeAndre anymore. Yeah, well, it's not helping the Mavericks at all. They suck, but. Um, I just wanted to actually that actually speaks to my next question is um, is DeAndre Jordan or or who is the most underrated offseason acquisition and I'll go first so you can um, think about that question because it's been it's been a minute since our uh, offseason has ended um, for me um, this is kind of an under the radar uh, acquisition that at least a lot of people didn't talk about in wake of LeBron um, was Julius Randle signing with the Pelicans. Um, he comes off the bench for them, but he's averaging 18 points per game this year um, in just 25 minutes off the bench. And that's just a huge spark for them because if we remember the Pelicans just two years ago, their bench was among the worst in the league. And that isn't, that's uh, a big understatement. I mean, when you watch any, when Anthony Davis or DeMarcus Cousins at the time come off the floor, they were absolutely atrocious. So I think Randall is a huge addition for them because he can get his own shot. And I think the Pelicans are going to be really dangerous when um, all the pieces are coming together come playoff time for them. Yeah, Randall's a unique player. It kind of looks scary when he gets out of control. But if you let – he's kind of like Lance Stevenson. If you empower him and let him do his thing, then he can have some unbelievable outbursts. And he's especially yeah, he perfect as a bench player. So he's in a great spot. And then with the way Merritt is just playing, I really like – the Pelicans. I mean, I don't, you know, I, I think the West is obviously too loaded for them to do anything that dangerous, but if they're in the East, they're, uh, you know, po- possibly a top five team in the East, but that's just the nature I mean, of the West. We can't praise Miritich enough. Just, uh, just a uh, totally offshoot on this conversation. 
this guy consistently balls out like 30, 35 points per game from the most random player in the NBA. He might be Neck the beard down about... to the toes. <laughs> he might be the least talked about baller this season. I mean, he's playing unbelievable. He's perfect for the Pelicans because all that D, all the D gets sucked in from Anthony Davis. Boom, Miritich just draining shots like a Ryan Anderson on steroids on Peds. So he is he's playing off the earth. So shout out to him. Okay, that I'm glad you brought up Ryan Anderson. Oh wait, I got to give my answer. Uh, can I give um so low key off season acquisition? All right, was the question right? Acquisition. Yep. Uh, for me. The one I'm just going to bring up the one I overlooked a lot was I think I underrated Kawhi Leonard on the Raptors. I did too. I mean, I knew it was going to be a factor, and I thought the Raptors would be a little bit better. But this team is they're they're deep, they're complete, they have no huge flaws. I mean, they have everything you need to to not. You thought I was going to say beat the Warriors? No, I'm not saying that. <laughs> I think they can win the East. And for the Toronto Raptors to make the NBA Finals, that would be massive for their organization. And if they can get Kawhi to commit, you never know what's going to happen with the Warriors here in a couple years. I mean, that would just be huge. So I think Kawhi Leonard on the Raptors, in my own head, I kind of underrated it because I don't think I thought Kawhi was going to be immediately this great, Um, not just in terms of him coming back from an injury, but him fitting in so well with his teammates, and he has. And Lowry's still sad that DeRozan's gone, and I know they're great friends, but they're playing great basketball on the court. So I, I think I, I underrated that. The Raptors are 12-1 and one right now. No, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because I thought we'd get to the Raptors, but we probably won't because they're the least talked about team as well because they're not in America. But, uh, yeah, they play winning basketball, and, and I hate this expression in sports, probably like you do, the it factor. I I don't know what it is about Kawhi Leonard. It's not his stats that jump out to you, but he has winning mentality, and he brings winning everywhere he goes. I did not think the Raptors were going to be nearly as good as they are, um, and they look like legitimate Eastern Conference contenders. I don't think anybody is contending with the Warriors, like you said, um, so I don't want to jump and give uh, our Toronto fans that kind of hope, but I, I I am. I'm glad that they did this. I don't think they could have got over the hump with DeRozan, so they made a really, um, you know, courageous move, and I think it's going to pay off this season at least and try to convince them to to resign. Yeah, I think the way things are going right now, it makes sense for him to resign. And then you know, people keep bringing up the Lakers, and he whether it's true or not, it doesn't matter. He said he doesn't even like the Lakers, so might as well stay in Toronto. You never know. You got to go for it. Yeah. Uh, okay, so let's move on to the next question here. Should Houston panic? Houston Rockets are four and seven. Uh, they've had some injury issues. They kind of low key are a new look roster. They lost a lot of guys. They have some new guys that are playing that didn't get a lot of playing time last year, and they still have Capella, Harden, and Paul, but things are not going well. They're sitting at 4-7. and seven. Their pace is a lot lower this year. Things are not clicking. Uh, so the question, and I'll let you start off, should Houston panic? Uh, um, I'm really torn on this one. I, I don't think that 12 or 11 games is any amount of games for 
any team to panic unless you're Cleveland, um, you know, withstanding Cleveland. But they I should have been panicking I, before the season. <laughs> yeah, they should have panicked months ago after they got swept. Um, <laughs> but I, I think. One. J.R. Smith blunder should have just been a panic attacks everywhere. Panic mode. They should all get an anxiety just like Murphy has, but or uh, Xanax. Sorry. Um, I think that it is time to panic, and the only reason I say that is because of of two factors. Chris Paul's contract is a very um, weighty contract for them to have moving forward for an aging superstar. Uh, I'm not saying he's not a great player. But to be four and seven at the start of a 28-2019 NBA season is very alarming for a guy that you're set to pay a hundred million over the next three years, um, or more, because you're locked into him. Um, James Harden is is great, but when he's not on the floor, they have absolutely no shot of beating anybody. It looks like he is the singular fail point for that team. No, you know. Regardless of who they lost or gained in the offseason, with the addition of Carmelo, they lost a lot of defenders. You can't have one single fail point for an NBA contending team. For the for example, the Warriors have Curry and Durant. So if one of them and Clay Thompson, well, they're loaded. So if one of them is off, they can still win games and they can win them against really good competition. Um, the best team in the East was probably the Celtics. So they have Kyrie, Hayward, Tatum, Brown, and a coach. You know, let's not forget the coaching. All not fail points if one of them has an off night. Mike D'Antoni predicates the entire system around the point guard, which in this case is James Harden. And to be a contending team, you just can't have one singular fail point. Yeah, I think that's fair. But I also am a little torn because... Harden is not shooting the ball well. He's shooting 41%. His assist-to-turnover ratio right now is 7-5. to five. And he's always struggled a little bit with turnovers. He's not the most efficient player in terms of turnovers. But that's going to improve. Chris Paul is really not shooting well right now. He's under 40%. He's also playing with an injury. Those are things that are... This is not going to happen. Those are going to improve over time. So I think you're going to see that kind of snap out of it for Houston. That's going to really help their cause. They've also had the fourth toughest schedule in the NBA. The other night they shot 33% against the Spurs and still only lost by seven. And it's just one game, so it's just ridiculous to look at that. But I think I think this is a team that's going to, once they get a little more healthy and they start to play together more, they're going to improve. But they're without Trevor Ariza. At the same time, they're leaning a lot on, on James Ennis. Uh, I think this is a team that could have some issues. You know, I think they're, they're, Brandon Knight is going to help their bench because they're relying a lot on players that don't have a lot of experience on their bench right now. Gerald Green and Eric Gordon is taking a bigger role this year that he can do, but he's not the most comfortable in this role. And when Eric Gordon has huge roles, he's proven in his career is not a winning team. So the point is, Brandon Knight, I think, fits their system. He's going to help their bench. Chris Paul and Harden are going to get more healthy. That being said, while I'm torn, they got worse. Their roster got worse this year. You already couldn't beat the Warriors, and yeah, you know, if Chris Paul doesn't get hurt, maybe they beat Golden State. Fact is, they lost that series, and they got a little bit worse this year. So, I don't know if panic's the right word, but it's not looking great for Houston if your goal is NBA championship. It's not panic uh, officially because two reasons. Um, I'll kind of contradict myself here, but you have James Harden, a transcendent 
NBA talent. So when you have that level of a superstar, it's never panic mode um, because he can dig you out of it. He himself is capable of rattling off um, seven or eight wins in a row if he gets uh, super hot. Um, they also have one of the best GMs in basketball. So if anybody can turn around a failing roster, um, it's Daryl Morey. Um, for the Houston Rockets, he can turn around a roster, make some crazy trade, um, and swindle some people around the league. But I will say, you know, the, the question is, this team isn't better than the Houston Rockets last year. So if you're not playing for championships, what are you playing for? Um, and, and in that regard, I think it is panic mode in terms of roster overhaul surrounding um, Harden and Chris Paul. Everybody else on that team, in my opinion, is completely expendable, including Capella at this point, because if you're really um, predicating a team around or you're putting a team around Harden and Chris Paul, you got to do it now because they're not getting any younger. Um, the Warriors hopefully will lose some pieces next year, but you can't really bet your hand on that. So I think it's it's time to press the panic button and at least make some roster changes. And that uh, being on the subject of the Houston Rockets... The news. By the time people listen to this, there might be news, some clarity on what happens here with Carmelo Anthony. But it, I think the question here for me, because the reports are that they're going to waive him, and then they contradicted that and said, no, they're not, we're not going to waive him. I think they will or they'll trade him. Point is here, is Carmelo going to play in the NBA this season? I think if Houston gets rid of him, I don't know if anyone picks him up and why you'd pick him up. Because Melo has the game left in him. I think Houston and OKC tried to use him like uh, like Miritich, like an outside shooter, which he really isn't. He's a scorer. And I think there's value to having older guys like a Vince Carter. But Vince Carter's proven to teach young players the way, and he's a great role model. Carmelo's a quiet guy, and he's proven to be a little bit selfish at times. So does he play in the league this year at all? I, I think... You know, by the time we'll, this podcast releases, we'll get some clarity. Um, but my prediction right now is if the Houston Rockets release him, this will be the final we ever see of Melo. And I don't want to say that I don't think that he doesn't have any value, but I think that he overvalues himself too much to have value. And what I mean by that is I think if he played for the Grizzlies or some team that really um, isn't the best offensive team, he could be a focal point for them and still put in 20 points per game. We know he's capable of scoring the ball, um, but he's trying to get a chip now at the end of his career and every role that a team wants him to play that is a championship contender, he's not going to be happy with and he's not going to fit into their system. If he went to any Eastern Conference team, they're going to want him to come off the bench as an offensive guy or you know, at least be uh, the last op- a bailout option, if you will, with a little bit on the shot clock. So if, for me, if the Houston Rockets cut him, I think that we'll see the end of Carmelo Anthony, which is really sad. He was, uh, I mean, not sad. He's had an amazing Hall of Fame career, so I don't want to say it's sad for anybody to have a Hall of Fame career, but he could have achieved so much more if he was given the right circumstance, and he's an all-world talent. It's incredible where he was, and it's not – you know, it's not a T-Max situation where injuries derailed his career. He's been pretty healthy for the most part. It's just, it just, frankly, is his attitude has been part of it and um, a changing NBA and some bad luck from him. He didn't get in the right situations there in Denver and the New York Knicks. He had some unbelievable seasons with the Knicks. Those weren't his fault. I, I mean, he, he was no. doing everything he could there. But it's just that 
bad luck he had there, and then now he's not willing to accept where he is in his career, and it's incredible the way the legend's career has gone downhill. Now, so my final question, you know, I mean, I'll just say it. What, you know, what grade do you give his career? Um, you know, uh, he was drafted. You know, for everybody that doesn't forget, he was drafted in the same class as Wade and LeBron. Um, I think he was the second or third pick. He was the third pick, probably, um, to the Denver Nuggets, where he played most of his most of his career, and then the Knicks. Um, you know, for me, I'll answer it. I give his career overall a B. I want to say B or B minus, right on the right on the brink there, an 83 percent. I think that he is one of the most talented offensive players. There was a time in the NBA where he was the most offensive talented player, in my opinion. And this is included an NBA that had Kobe and Kevin Durant and LeBron. But his mid-range game and his strength and quickness and size was unprecedented at the time, and he could score seemingly at will every night. Um, but he was never able to put it together to play some winning basketball. But that doesn't wait, take it away from his individual accolades. Well, remember on Team USA when it was uh, 2008, or maybe it was 2012 as well. I think it was 2008. But it was the year where Wade, LeBron, Kobe, I mean, these guys were all pretty much in their prime. And they had Darren Williams. And Mello was the leading scorer. I mean, they were just feeding him because... He's an amazing talent, and that's why he's teaming up with these superstars at the end of his career because they all see his talent, and they're saying, nobody wants Carmelo? I'll take Carmelo. That guy's bad, man. He's unstoppable, and it's not working. But he was, like you said, pretty much the best scorer because in the Olympics he was the go-to guy. He couldn't miss, whether it was from three, driving to the hoop, or from mid-range. But uh, where he's at now is just uh, it's, it's incredible where he's come. And I think it's kind of unprecedented where it's gone. Yeah, and and to speak to the Olympic point, he's the all-time uh, America's leading all-time scorer for the Olympics, and that just goes to show that they were just feeding him. Um, I don't think there's anybody that's been more capable of scoring the basketball than Carmelo Anthony. He's the one guy you wouldn't want to guard one-on-one in the gym. You you would almost take any other guy in the NBA at one point over Carmelo that's trying why, to guard that's him. That's why every the offseason there's these, there's these videos of him in pickup just <laughs> – Literally unstoppable because he is unstoppable. in pickup. He is unstoppable. I mean, he's thick. I mean, if you ran into him, it's like you would bounce back like a Looney Tunes character. He's a big, he's a big guy. I mean, he's built and he's so quick with his first step and pull up. I mean, his shot in itself is so quick. So, totally lethal. But in my opinion, a B for his career. And it's really sad to see him go out like this. I'll give him a B as well, just for everything we've talked about. You know, Hall of Fame, absolute legend, but. His, his kind of his attitude and his unwillingness to accept things at the end has kind of brought his grade down a little bit for me. But yeah, great player, and we'll remember it certainly for everything he did. Uh, okay, so back in the now, my next question here: Are the Wizards going to blow it all up? Because we know the Wizards well documented; they're three and nine. They are a terrible team right now. There's no <laughs> way to sugarcoat it. Are they going to blow it all up, and should they? Should they give up? It's only 12 games. There's no reason to overreact. Whether you're playing great or you're playing poorly, there's no reason to overreact. But the Wizards have come up short season in and season out, and uh, there's a lot of frustration. Is it time for the Wizards to give it up? Uh, I I totally think it's time. I think it's beyond time to give it up. I thought they should have got gave it up. Um 
a few seasons ago. Uh, I'll be frank. Um, hindsight 2020, I will say that. Every year you want the Wizards to be so much better than they are because on paper the Wizards are a very capable team of winning. But for whatever reason, um, be it coaching or ownership or um, a lack of mental toughness from its stars, they can't seem to put it together. And if you can't win games in the Eastern Conference, um, I think it's definitely time to give it up. To have Bradley Beal such a um, desirable asset, you can trade him now for three, four picks in the future and maybe a good young player. There's teams that would, uh, like the Lakers, that would that would kill to have someone like Bradley Beal. I mean, if you're the Lakers right now, I'd trade Hart, Lonzo Ball, and a couple first-rounders to have him right now. Um, that's a huge young nucleus just for one of their two uh, bohemists that they have in the Wizards. Um, then you got to point your fingers at John Wall. John Wall's had a, a good career, not a great career. Um, for all of his God-given ability, it seems that he can't put it together and be the franchise player that they want him to be. I don't know if parting ways. I don't know if anybody will take his contract. Let me back up and say that because it's such a terrible, terrible contract. Well, good for him, but terrible for anybody else that would want him. Um, so I think the Wizards are unfortunately going to be stuck with him, but I definitely think that they should blow it up with Beal. Yeah, I think I think it's a matter of time. I think I don't think there's a they can just flip a switch. You know, for me, I don't think it's a situation like Boston or Philly or the Lakers where. Okay, they're starting to figure it out. Now they got a win streak. I just don't think the Wizards have it. You know, I think Beal and Wall have never played that well together, which is surprising because they should complement each other very well. But in the front court, I mean, you got Dwight Howard and Otto Porter's not really getting that much better. I mean, he's playing pretty well. He shouldn't get fault for this, but, you know, he's never going to be a, a guy that you can rely on every game. Uh, Oubre is not really developing that quickly either, so it's time to. It's time to give it up, and that's that's where you could see the next blockbuster trade this year. If that if stuff continues, we could see. I would guess they stick with Wall and probably get rid of Beal, but internally, maybe there's a a uh, a rife that they have here with John Wall. Maybe they maybe he's frustrated with the organization and management. We'll see, but we could see Wall or Beal or both on separate teams that could really help a contender out here as the season goes on. I think the first thing that's gonna you're gonna see happen is Scott Brooks be fired because he has been absolutely terrible for the Wizards. So he's gonna be my number one coach to be fired for sure. I, I would be shocked if he's not fired before this podcast even goes goes out to the public. I'm gonna be honest, but um, yeah, it, it's kind of it's a shame for John Wall because he came into this season and I thought the Wizards are gonna be at least trying to contend now that LeBron's out of the Eastern Conference. I'm um, trying to make a push at it finally um, now that LeBron's out. But he came into the season. He looks out of shape. He looks like a guy I just saw walking, you know, walking down the street. He looks terrible. So uh, he must have hit too many DC nightclubs. I think I saw him a few times down there. <laughs> you one <laughs> of those places. <laughs> yeah. So I, I don't know. He needs to get back in the gym, get his head in the game. But they should they should move Beal and get rid of Scott Brooks. That would be my immediate remedies. And it's crazy because 2017 Eastern Conference semifinals, Game Seven, they're one Kelly Olynyk. <laughs> fire game away from being in the Easter Conference Finals and then you know they probably would have lost there but maybe there would be a different vibe there in, in D.C. with the Wizards if they hadn't had Kelly Olenek crush their dreams Oh, Kelly Olenek, that one game if you want to point to one player that's benefited more from one game Kelly Olenek's 
entire contract with the Miami Heat is because of that game. Literally to this day, and I live in Washington, I know, people hate Olenek. He comes in here, and he's got he's the kryptonite to the Wizards. If you want, if you think the Wizards are your are the team to beat, you better go pick up Kelly Olenek, sign him to a max because this this guy has got the Wizards' entire number. He goes off for twenty five every single game against them. I don't know what it is. <laughs> that is crazy. He looks like an elf. He looks like a, he's a legless at your local play. Maybe he is a wizard. That's why. Oh, there we go. That I, makes I sense. A wor- if he played for the Wizards, a wormhole would probably open up. We'd probably all die because this man, you, he is a wizard. You remember that game? I mean, he was oh, like yeah. 12 for 13, 30-something points. He just absolutely ripped the heart out of the I Wizards. every shot. Every shot he put up. I mean, he made, you know, like three out of four, four to five to start. You're like, okay, he's, he's playing well. And then every shot after, you're like, no. 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 Every time he shot, nah, he'll miss now. Oh, he'll cool off. There's a lot of times, you know, people will go off for three quarters, and then in the fourth quarter, you're like, okay, here's the true Olenek form. Nope. No. This was Olenek. This was his day. He is a wizard, and he destroyed him. That was legendary. That was legendary. And now Miami Heat paid extra for him, and Miami Heat. My Miami Heat. I'm saying Miami Heat, like Miami. But uh, my <laughs> Miami Heat sucked now because we had to overpay him, and we overpaid Whiteside, and we overpaid Draj. It's a tragedy what's going on in Miami, too. Whiteside's game the other day, because right, I'm with you. Whiteside has been pretty bad this season, but that he 29-20 and nine blocks. They should have got on the phone immediately after the game and traded him to somebody because that's the best you're going to get out of him. That's, that's true. That's true. Oh, I don't have any questions left. That's that's it for my questions. Do you have? That's any? it for me too. Yeah, well, I actually thought of one while we we're going, and we'll okay. we'll we'll end the podcast with this one. Okay. What are you most excited to watch going forward in the NBA season? Well, that's it. Okay. Well, for me personally, it is definitely the Lakers and bringing things together. But I'm a Lakers fan, so that's kind of a ridiculous answer. Uh, I think they're. To be as a, from an unbiased perspective, the Lakers are really fun to watch. A lot of passers. We have Lance Stevenson; he's always entertaining. Of course, we have LeBron James. Uh, so the, the Lakers are super fun to watch. I'm also on the point of the Denver Nuggets. Uh, excuse me, on the the Memphis Grizzlies. I want to see the Memphis Grizzlies keep this up because in a loaded Western Conference, them making the playoffs would be awesome. So there it is, the Lakers bringing things together, and when they finally get clicking, they're going to have some unbelievable offensive games and whether or not the Grizzlies can compete as a playoff game, as a playoff team. Yeah, for me, those are all good, but for me, I'm looking at Giannis Antetokounmpo. I think that at this point in the season, nobody expected the Bucks to be this great. Nobody expected, well, some people did, but Giannis Antetokounmpo is playing out of his mind. He's averaging 27 14 rebounds right now and the bucks are sitting on top of the eastern conference so you know going forward i want to see if they're actually contenders if they can put it all together and 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 try to play the celtics try to beat the celtics they have the pieces they're long and lengthy they just beat the warriors the other night um can they attract another top free agent to milwaukee wisconsin i wouldn't want to go there personally i don't care who's playing there (laughs) but uh you know i I'm looking to see how he ends the season. I, in my opinion, he's the early MVP, so we'll see how uh, how he finishes it. Yeah, he's the MVP. He's unbelievable so far this year. He's getting better from the outside too. Okay, uh, that, I mean that's going to do it. I'm, my laptop made it through, which is amazing. <laughs> this 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 old beast sounds like a diesel engine when you turn it on. It's, it, 
it's turned into like Diplo. Lately, it's been making these crazy robotic beats when I turn it on. So I'm, I was afraid it was going to start smoking, and then that was going to be the last straw. But it turned on and made it through this podcast, and we're just going to keep riding it out until I have to go on to Craigslist and get some other old used laptop. That's a, that's a good omen. This is a good omen for ADP going forward. Is the pull to start? Did you get a little starter fluid in <laughs> yeah. the beginning? <laughs> yep. I pulled the gear, you know, the pull to like a lawnmower, and then yep. uh, we made it through, baby. So yeah, it was fun. Good. All right, that was well, fun. That was fun to do it. Absolutely. It was awesome. All right, so all the fans can stop complaining. We made it through. We got an episode. And, uh, Cal, well, we got to get back at it. I don't know. I'm not going to commit to next week, but we got to do this consistently, okay? Non-commental. I can't date you. I mean, you you don't commit to anything. But yeah. we'll we'll, we'll try to get one before the end of the year. How about before the end of the year? That's pretty loose. I was thinking more than that. Oh wow! I mean, geez, we went ten months before our last one, so I was trying to get you two in twenty eighteen. That's fair. Okay, okay, that's fair. That's that's all we'll commit to for now. We'll see. We'll see how people react to this one, and we'll go from there. All right. All right. Thanks for listening, and that's again ADP. We'll be back, baby.